Good, good morning to you. Uh, this morning, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Uh, my name is Harold. I'm one of the pastors. Can't believe I get to bring to you God's Word. It's projected. Please click on your phones. Best is if you have your own Bibles. Let's give our full attention to this as we continue this series, Gospel versus Religion in Our Culture. Gospel versus Religion in Our Culture. I'll read it for us, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for his word. We've been trying to unpack the distinctions or differences between having the gospel in your life versus just having religion in your life. Uh, religion, in essence, is about you from top to bottom, start to finish. But the gospel is about Jesus. Okay, Religion is about you. The gospel is about Jesus. What are the differences? Well, in, in religion, you base and you build your identity and your self-worth upon what you do. How religious you are, how good you are. You feel better about yourself based upon how well you do for yourself. That's religion. The gospel, you receive a whole new identity and you receive an infinite self-worth based upon what someone else did for you. Religion, your identity is based upon what you do for yourself. In the gospel, it's based upon somebody else, somebody else. Religious people tend to see bad people out there. No, I'm not a wife like that. I'm not a husband like that. I'm not a kid like that. I'm not a student like that. No, no. They're out there while good people are in here. And so you're awfully blind and deceived and prideful, and you're going to cruise in for a bruising, as they say. You're just ripe for a fall someday because you just think bad people are out there and good people are in here. That's what religion tells you. No. When you meet Jesus, Jesus gets you to see only two kinds of people. There's still people who think that they're good enough without Jesus. And then there's people who realize they desperately need Jesus. In the gospel, they need to be saved. Religion motivates you with pride or fear. The gospel motivates you with love and gratitude. The gospel changes you at home and at work. Not only at religious church gatherings. Religious people tend to fall away from God if and when you suffer, which you will. If you believe in religion, you're going to give up on God when God no longer works for you when you suffer. But those who believe in the gospel have been gripped, <clears throat> gripped by the gospel. You cannot give up on God. 
Because you believe that God has already given Himself entirely up for you in Jesus. He will never give up on you, so you'll never give up on Him. You'll fall into His arms even when you suffer. Religious people tend to work for their salvation. That's why you obey. Gospel people work out their salvation. That's why you obey. Last week we heard that in religion you're frantically trying to overcompensate and do everything possible to cover your shame. But the gospel alone offers total and full cover for all of your shame. And it's only in Jesus and what he has done for you. At the end of these two roads, and there are only two roads, that's what the Bible says, at the end of one, which is religion or irreligion, is futility, regret, and death. I'm sorry to tell you that. That's the end of this road. Every time. But the end of the road for gospel folks who believe and trust and depend and love and follow Jesus is a full and abundant and never-ending life and a joy that this world cannot purchase. So today, as we continue this series, I want to learn from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount on how the gospel makes his people different in how you relate to the world. Today, we want to study and hopefully be changed by how the gospel should make you different in how you relate to common culture, people who obviously do not worship the same God that you do, people who do not agree with you at the most deepest levels. What should Christian people be like in our common culture in today's world? And it's very different from religion. You see, because religious people are going to tend to hide from the world. That's why Jesus said, if you're a light, you cannot hide it. Put it on a stand. If it's a lamp, don't cover it over. No, 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 no. Jesus says, I want my people to shine before others. The world should be able to see it. Religious people tend to be one or the other. They are either so afraid of the world because it's so many bad, polluted, wicked people out there. You got to avoid the world or religious people just assimilate and cave in and become just like the world. That's what religion does. You with me so far? If you're into religion, this is how you deal with the non-believing world. You're so afraid of them, you avoid them, or you become just like them. The gospel makes you neither. The gospel makes you neither. The gospel makes you like Jesus. Even in our common culture in today's world. How so? How so? Two ways. Two ways. Jesus taught us. Number one, you are the salt of the earth. Number two, you are the light of the world. First, you ought to relate to our common culture like salt. Salt was an essential preservative, uh, preservative in ancient days. Didn't have as much refrigeration or technology that we do today. So salt was essential for like meat, that choice, nutritious, delicious, juicy meat. You got to put salt in there so that that meat could last longer. Here's what Jesus is teaching about his people. Just like meat, the world is falling apart. Just like meat, everything is falling apart. What are Christian people supposed to be like? They're supposed to bring it and hold it together and make it last longer. Christian people are preservatives. Let me give you an example of how we should preserve in relationships. In relationships, the holidays are coming up. 
There might be some difficult people. There might be some people you don't want to see. You may not even be, want to, uh, be around people. But nevertheless, what are Christian people supposed to be like with people who are not Christian? You ought to be able to move in there, get in there, and mediate and peacemake and bridge build and bring about restoration and some kind of peace or maybe even some order and justice. Christian people are the salt of the earth. Preserve it. Hold it together. You know, if and when you get really, really offended, who here hasn't? Like you got certain buttons that people should not push, right? Or they hit a nerve. That nerve, wow, people get shocked like, whoa, I didn't know you get so upset about that. But if when you get that upset or that offended, deep down in our hearts, what are we saying? I've actually heard it said as your pastor and counselor. I'd rather die than lose to that person. I'd rather die than apologize. I'd rather die than own anything that I did wrong on my end. Can I suggest something to you, my friend? When you say I'd rather die, that relationship is probably going to die. Do you understand that? Jesus taught, oh, please come and preserve and save yourself. Is that what Jesus taught? Is that what it means to be a Christian? Please look for ways to defend your pride, hold on to your ego, feel good about yourself, especially in conflicts and pain in relationships. No, Jesus taught the reverse. And here's the reverse, and it's counterculture, and it's counterintuitive. When you lose yourself, when you give up yourself, when you don't save yourself, when you do not preserve yourself, do you know what? You might save a relationship. You might preserve a relationship. Man, you know, as parents, both of my girls are teenagers now. And you mess up. As a parent, absolutely, you are inconsistent. You overreact. You had a bad day. You take it out on your kids at home. You say something. You react in such a way that is clearly, clearly just not right. Hey, parents. Hey, fellow parents. Can I, can I please ask of you to consider? If you as a parent don't admit and own and repent of the hurt that you caused, do you know that your children may not recover? If you want to save yourself as a parent, do you know you might lose your kid? Oh, me first. No, no, me first. Me first. Do you know that's a movement that started at the origin of sin? But when you come to Jesus Christ and you really meet him and you start to get what he's about, me first dies first in Christ. How can Christian people be salt and preservative of the world? It's no longer me first. I lay myself down first. Yeah, I really do get moved by these images of in brave heart when he's racked up to this device and he's being tortured and you know Superman has these images when his arms are outstretched and even Spider-Man when he's trying to hold uh, a train that's been split apart to save lives. I really do get moved by those images because of course it reminds me of Jesus when his arms were outstretched, overextended and they were literally torn apart. You know, Jesus' arms are torn apart. Do you know why? 
to bring sworn enemies together. Jesus got ripped apart so that enemies could become friends. And this is why we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for, God, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. My friend, this morning there's only one way for you to be reconciled with a holy, just, and perfect God Because of his love, he gave you a way to be reconciled with God. It's through the outstretched, torn, bloody arms of Christ Jesus. When you trust him, when you come to him to take your place, Romans 5 tells us you can now be at peace with God. Not tension, not hostility, not shame, not guilt, not uncertainty, not haunted Not oppressed, not afraid of. Do you know that you can be at peace with God because you're reconciled with God? Some of you Christian people in this in this room, you have lost you have lost all wonder and thanksgiving of how good that is. There is no greater peace, no greater joy, no greater happiness in all the world that you could ever find than to have a clean conscience, a confident heart, that you are right with God. Here's what Paul says, though. If you've been reconciled vertically, supernaturally, with the one that you need reconciliation with the most, the most, the ultimate parent, the ultimate boss, the ultimate person you need approval from, now you've been tasked with the ministry of reconciliation. You are ministers of reconciliation. You're like salt. You're supposed to bring people together. Just a little bit words of encouragement. This does not mean you can guarantee reconciliation. This does not mean you can coerce reconciliation. This does not mean you have a timetable for reconciliation. This does not mean you can control reconciliation. That is not up to you. Christian people, that's not your responsibility. But you can be the bridge builder. You can be a minister of it, a servant of it, an agent of it. The reconciliation happens from God. This is how Christian people ought to be in our common culture. Preserve and holding and bringing together in relationships that fall apart. Larry Hurtado, an historian, wrote a book entitled Destroyer of the Gods. And he notes five features of early Christian people. How Christian people were always salty. That means in a good sense Distinctive, yet attractive. Distinctive, yet standing out. The gospel makes Christian people attractive in the world, whereas religious people hide from the world. And here are five features of how Christian people were always attractive and distinct and widely known for it. Number one, Christian people forgave people. Christian people forgave people. Need I tell you right now in politics and our government right now, right? It's 
Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You get extreme on that end. Oh, I'm going to get more extreme on this end. No different from the ancient Roman Empire. Violence, coups, retaliation. That's normal. That's easy. That's natural. But Christian people forgave. Even people who were killing them. A second feature of these Christian folks. Sex was reserved for marriage. Sex was exclusively prized, valued. Christian people actually value sex more than anybody else. We think it's so sacred and the sanctity and the beauty of it is so great that you just don't misuse it. You just don't abuse it. Please don't demean it. It should only be used in marriage. Married people back then and married people just like now, it was totally common. You had, a, you had another person. You have a side pleasure. You have a business person. You have other people that you can sleep around with. Christians didn't. Christians didn't. Before marriage or during marriage. So they stood out. Here's number three. Larry Hurtado points out how about Christians were salty, attractive, and distinct in their world. They were generous with their money, extravagantly generous with their money. Now I want you to notice on number two and three how countercultural Christian people are then and now. It is way more popular to share your beds and be open sexually, but to be really private and crazy, crazy obsessive about your money. Christian people are different. Christian people don't share their beds, but they share all their money and goods. Christian people were extravagantly generous, not with Christian poor, but with all the poor. All the poor. It was so outstanding that in the early Greco-Roman Empire, they never had seen a breed or a race or a class of people like this. That Christian people would go to Muslim, atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. Anyone, Muslim, that's a... It cannot be true, but anyways, you don't understand. All kinds of people, all those who were poor in need, they were extravagantly generous with their money and goods. Number four, Christians stood against abortion and infant exposure. Stood against abortion and infant exposure. Abortions were more difficult then and more expensive then. And so the women who carried their children to full term and felt like they could not care for this child, do you know what they would do with their newborn child? They would just throw them and leave them on a trash heap. And then this group of Christians would come along and they'd be the one to adopt or defend or care for the children who had been abandoned and left behind. Christians speak for the voiceless. They defend the defenseless. And they come and they care for the most vulnerable in, our, in today's society. Fifth, everyone noticed, wow, Christian people suffer well. Mm, all right. Now, I do not mean Christian people are like masochists that like and enjoy suffering. That's not what it means by suffered well. Uh, Christian people also were very different from Stoics who ignored or repressed or denied that the suffering was even happening. 
Christian people were also very different from hedonists whose whole motive and goal in life is avoid all suffering. Just be happy and comfortable. Go after pleasure. But you see, if you're a hedonist and you're just going after pleasure, suffering comes in and it crushes your life. You're overcome by it. You're overwhelmed by it. Christians were none of the above. Do you know what Christian people were like? They could be honest. They could lament and grieve and wail about their present suffering. No, they do not like it. They do not enjoy it or look forward to it. But they're realistic about it. And yet, Christian people had a radiant hope even in it. You know, I cannot tell you enough that when you get around real Christian folks who suffer, And you start to sense, even in all their grieving and lamenting and mourning and crying, that there's just something at the end that carries them through. There's someone looking after them. You can sense it. There's a goal that they know they're still going to reach. There's a resiliency and a composure and a character and a strength about this person. What do you think that is? They're being salt. They're being salt. What difference does the gospel make versus religion? Religious people tend to hide from the world, whereas the gospel makes you attractive in the world. Shine, let your light shine before others, before others, so that they might glorify your Father who is in heaven. Oh, so in summary, Christian people are strangely attractive, strangely attractive, outdated and timeless, submissive and subversive, and therefore countercultural. Christian people are strangely attractive, therefore countercultural. Here's a second way that Jesus teaches us and gives us all the power and resources. To be different. Second, we're lights. Jesus taught you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I do have to qualify that just a little bit. You know, in our solar system, all the planets revolve around a true center. All the planets revolve around a center, which is the sun. The sun. Christian people revolve around a true center, who is Christ Jesus. Thus is not only the name, but I always pray would be the character of this church. Christ central. And when we revolve around him, all we are is his light is derivative. It reflects off of us. We're like lamps. We're not the center. We're not the sun. Jesus is the light of the world. But when you come to him and need him, you get lit up. When you receive him as Savior and Lord, a light comes in. A saltiness comes in. Now, this is both miraculous and daunting in its features as well. That you are the light of the world. It means at least these two things. Number one, light exposes things as they really are. If you are the light of the world, well, then it shows things as they really are. You actually can't help it. You see, there's a, um, there's a supernatural presence or spirit in you. Uh, there's a standard. There's a beauty. There's, there's a different mindset. There's a whole different value system. Your loves and hates have been transformed inside out, as we just sang. And so when you get around those who are cheating and corrupt, they should feel uncomfortable. 
You can't help that. When you get around people who are hating and backbiting and always talking behind people's back and dividing and really fueling all kinds of animosities, Christian people come along and all of a sudden they quiet down and they whisper and then they don't want to talk anymore. Why is that? I mean, I lost count how many times on a plane or train or wherever I travel and we're like talking and the dude is just talking to me about his Vegas and uh, in, in Vegas weekend, what he did or what he's going to do and how excited he is. And then he makes the mistake of asking me, so what do you do? And I tell him I'm a pastor. All of a sudden, the guy becomes mute. Like he puts his headphones on, starts to read something else. It's so sad. Christian people, by just virtue of who you are, Light, it exposes and shows things as they really are. My friends, are you just trying to blend in perfectly? Is that one of your goals, life goals or social goals? I just want to blend. I just want to fit in. Not quite sure that matches what Jesus teaches about you. Are you bland? Do you stand out for anything? Is there anything attractive? What for? How? Let me just give one word of caution here. And it's a very important word of caution, I think. We didn't read it in verse 5, verse 11. If we could project that. Jesus taught before our passage, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account. On my account. So I'll phrase it this way. Are you controversial because you resemble Jesus Christ on his account? Or are you controversial just because you're you? You know, there are a lot of Christian people who somewhat even take courage and pride that they're being persecuted and attacked and People kind of hate on them at work. But I just want to suggest to you, it's not because you're so much like Jesus. It's just because you're just loud and rude. Hey, brother and sister, you better check yourself. You're not being persecuted and controversial because of Jesus, because you're a poor teammate or poor co-worker or poor sibling or poor son or poor spouse. You're not being persecuted because of his account when you don't listen well and you always try to prove that you're right at the end. Oh, to be light of the world, yes, expose and show things as they are, but expose and show things as they are because you're really like Jesus, not just yourself. You know, religious people tend to do this one thing and they do it really professionally well. They'll walk into any tense, hostile situation, and they'll usually make it worse. Here's why. Religious people tend to judge and condemn. Judge and condemn, judge and condemn, judge and condemn. It always gets worse. It always gets worse. Now, am I saying you should never go into a situation and judge things? No, that's impossible. Everyone has to judge things. You have to make moral evaluations. You have to say this is right or wrong. You have to make a moral judgment to deny all other moral judgments. 
So it's impossible not to make a moral judgment. But coming back to this case, do you know what Jesus taught his people? He taught his people, you should not judge the way that the world judges. You should not judge the way that religious people judge. And why is it, or how is it, that the world or religious people judge? Here it is. In the same sermon, you go over to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives this illustration. There are some of you who, when you call out and criticize and judge other people's sins, you see your sin as a speck and as really small, but you see other people's sin as a ginormous log. Do you know what gospel people do? Even when they have to judge or call out what is wrong? They are ever aware and sensitive of their own sin as being like a log. They see it as really big. My sin is bigger than anybody else's. So when I have to judge and call out your sin, in comparison to mine, it's really small. And this is what Jesus is teaching his people. Friends, if you have to judge, which you must, never judge with a superiority complex. Never judge because you're better than thou. Never judge because you're up on a pedestal looking down on others. Or else you're not going to be light. You're not going to be light. Light should expose and show things as they really are. And you can only do that when you're more like Christ, less of yourself. Here's the second feature of light. Light enhances beauty. Light enhances beauty. The lights are on. We can see more colors. We can see more things that previously you could not see. And in this aspect, it's like salt, which is a seasoning, which brings out the taste. It makes things taste better. You know, in January in this country, we have a national holiday set apart for the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., And it is a national observation because of some of the light that he brought into America and for all the world to see. I mean, one of his famous quotes, he's revered for not just his quotes, but the way he lived in nonviolence. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Where did he get that? Where do you get that? In June 2015, at a historic black church in South Carolina, now nine people were gunned down by a self-avowed white supremacist, Dylan Roof. It was a hate crime. And the reports will tell you, so many relatives, not every relative, but so many relatives who had lost a loved one, faced Dylan Roof in court And one after the other, there were too many. They all said in their own fashion, in their own form, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. One brother in particular, Melvin Graham, who lost his sister Cynthia, said that Dylan Roof wanted to start a race war, but all he did was start a love war. He wanted to start a race war, but all he did was start a love war. Where do they get that? Where do my black brothers and sisters get something like this? 
Why do they act like this? They saw a light. They really saw a light. And the love and the life and the laws of Jesus Christ. And when you see that light, other people can start seeing a light through you. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Hey, for every abuse or hypocrisy or everything else that's inexcusable in the name of Christ, Christianity, its force or influence throughout the world, I'm happy to sit down and talk with you any day. I assure you, I think there are many more advantages and beauties and blessings that it brought to the world. Is there anything more beautiful than those who really follow Christ? You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Likewise, these are why Christian people go around everywhere they go seeking to enhance beauty. Hey, my friends, please be counterculture in this respect. Christian people aren't just consumers. Consumers go to every organization, every meeting, every group, every club, and even a church. And the first question that they always ask is this, what's in it for me? What's the payoff? Give me the immediate result. That's not what Christian people ask. Christian people go to every organization, every company, every community, every group, every club, every gathering, and even every church. And do you know what Christian people ask? Not what's in it for me. How can I bring more beauty? How can I bring out the best? How can I enhance more beauty here of this team, this group, this neighborhood, and this church? I'll close with one practical application now. One practical application. To be preservatives in today's world like salt and to shine as beautiful lights, we must work it out together. You cannot do this by yourself. We must work it out together. Verse 14, once again, Jesus taught, you are the light of the world. He further explains, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You're a city. You're corporate. You're together. Do you really, really want to change the world? Do you really want to change the world? Hey, my friend, you're never going to change the world if you don't have more lives changing with you. It takes a city, a whole city, So when Jesus prayed, I pray that my people would be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. In John chapter 17. You see, attractive and distinct, not assimilated or afraid. And when he prayed that, in that same prayer, he goes on at the end, he says this. The world will know that God has sent his son when his church loves one another as one. How will the world really know that Jesus is for real and that he is true and he's God and Savior and that there are beauties to behold here that the world can never offer? How? Oh, behold. How in this city, in this community, in this local church. Wow. I've never seen a love like that. I didn't know people could love on one another like that. 
A New York Times article about last year was entitled, Internet Church Isn't Really Church. Love to just share some of it with you. Internet Church Isn't Really Church. Quote, two Christmases ago, my husband and I were dealing with a second miscarriage in three months. It was a time that was fraught with anxiety and debilitating sickness. There were so many Sundays when streaming a church service would have been preferable to getting out of bed. And there were Sundays when I literally couldn't get out of bed at all. But most Sundays we were there at a Russian cultural center under a disco ball in those stackable chairs. And when the anxiety and the nausea got really bad and I couldn't work, the church came to me. Those same friends who had served me communion were now at my front door with a meal or a book or a few minutes to pray together. I continued to meet every Tuesday night with my Bible study group, women from the church who knew everything about what the others are going through and what I was going through. They visited the hospital when yet after another miscarriage, I gave birth to our son and he had to spend time in the neonatal intensive care unit. They sent flowers and meals when we got home. When I couldn't go to church, the church came to me. That's my favorite part about CCSC. That's my favorite part about this church. When you love on one another in your neighborhood, in your small group, or because of your friendships, or just sheerly out of your generosity and Christ-like service, Oh, I want to tell you, my dear brother and sister, you are shining like lights in a very dark world. There are some people in this room, you really don't know how much you need a church until you need his people near you. And when will the world know that they really need Jesus Christ? When will our non-believing friends and family and neighbors really feel an ache like they're missing out on something? Here's when. When as people get near you, get near the world, and they preserve like salt and they shine like lights. So that people will wonder by your good works, who's your daddy? Who's your father? What is this about? May the gospel make more people who are not afraid of and avoid the world or become just like the world, but they stand out like salt and light. Attractive. Attractive. For the sake of Christ. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this rich word. And I pray, O oh God, that all of it which is from you by your word and spirit would penetrate into the deepest parts of our consciences and hearts and it would not let us go and that it would bring about the changes you want to see. O oh Lord, change more lives right here, right now, on the spot so that many more lives might be touched and changed by the beauty and the truth and the glory of Christ Jesus in the gospel. Hear us, we pray. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.